It is my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. Today, you've got Jeff and Diego. Diego, where are you calling in from today? Hey, so I've just arrived in, in Costa Rica. We've got another month here. We're going to be living with, well, it's 24 of us now. So 24 digital nomads living out of this little town on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica called Puerto Viejo. And yeah, we've just arrived. Tell me about Puerto Viejo, how it's, what it's like now. Because I've been there on vacation years ago. I think it was seven years ago and then again five years ago. And I did not try to work from there. I could barely even get cell phone reception. What's it like for a digital nomad now? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a little bit different. So there's a few places here now that'll offer good Wi-Fi. So that part's changed. We've actually got 200 megs here at the property, which is nuts. Like that's a really, really fast speed. Of course, a few few stability issues here and there still with the uh, the infrastructure. But honestly, so far, we've been working a few days already and we've had, if anything, minor cuts and then right back on. So honestly, totally, totally workable. Very interesting little place. You're right on the, I mean, very close to to the beach here, depending on exactly where you're at. The town is tiny. It's it's much smaller than I had expected. And so that's probably quite similar still to what you saw back then. One thing to know though about Costa Rica, and that's been kind of surprising a lot of us here, is it is, they call it the Switzerland of Latin America because it is probably the most expensive country in Latin America. It, it is quite pricey. Coming from the States, you might go, oh, well, this is kind of what I what I'll be paying in the States anyway. But if you compare that to Latin America, you're, you're kind of, you know, for food and everything, you're paying really twice as much as you'd be paying in, in most other countries is maybe the best way to, to think about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. You know, what's also really wild is the fact that there's a lot of places that I visited just a few years ago that were inaccessible. It was it, completely impossible to be a digital nomad there. And just in the last couple of years, all of a sudden, it's digital nomad hotspot. Yeah. It's like the technology is evolving so quickly that these places that were unavailable to people to live, a lot of times in beach towns, mm, I find, mm-hmm. and r- more rural communities where I thought, oh, this is an awesome place to spend vacation uh, and not work, all of a sudden is now completely available. And that's so cool to see Puerto Viejo is now on that list and available to digital nomads. You know, one thing that happens, Jeff, I think also is that with the, as, as different parts of the world start to adopt, especially small, you know, smaller towns, smaller beach towns, they, they start to think about what they're going to install in terms of their, you know, their network setups, their internet, they have the ability to skip technologies, right? So sometimes I'll find that here, you know, our speed here is faster than my speed in Germany. And that's because when they decide mm-hmm. to bring something in and, and you know, lay the cables or whatever uh, the networks that they're building up here, they're able to go straight to the current technology instead of having to take the steps and then mm-hmm. have this old infrastructure that's built in where once old infrastructure is there, it's very difficult for the companies to go, should we upgrade, right? That's when they really go, well, no, it's working. So for now, we'll, we're going to leave it the way that it is, even if it's pretty slow. So those typically actually tend to take longer to do the upgrade. So that's what we're seeing here now. We've got 4G speeds on a mobile network, one of them. The other two mobile networks don't work here. So that's quite interesting. And then, yeah, we do have a really good cabled connection. So yeah, Costa Rica, guys, put it's, it on your map. It's really interesting. 
really interesting because exactly what you're talking about was the problem that I had when I went to Florence in Italy. I thought Florence, like, you know, very, very developed, very, very developed nation, obviously. City is very, very old. I figured, oh, yeah, this will be one of the easiest places to work. One of the most difficult just because the infrastructure was so old and it would take so much more to rip it out and replace it than just start net new with something just kind of like they're doing in Costa Rica that it was impossible. And we ended up, we ended up extending, buying this very long pole and we took this MiFi device, put it in a basket that we attached to the pole and stuck it up above the roof so that we could get reception to the MiFi device because the walls were about a meter and a half thick of like bunker of like bomb shelter bunker. And we would then connect to the MiFi device and then try to get just barely enough reception to have phone calls. But it was I love that exactly what you're talking about. That is nifty. It was the most digital <laughs> it was the most digital nomad solution we've ever had to any problem that we've had. Oh my god, incredible. Well I commend you for it. All right, everybody. So today we're gonna do another round of rapid fire questions from the audience about being a digital nomad. And again, this list is something that we have not looked at before. We've got a list of questions and we intentionally do not review them before we ask the other person the question. So the sender of the question hasn't seen the question and the recipient of the question hasn't seen the question either. So we're answering these all on the fly. So with that, Diego, I think you're going to start off with the first question to me. Awesome. Go ahead. What's the first question about being a digital nomad? All right, Jeff, I haven't seen a single word of this. So here we go. What's your favorite country to live in so far? Guys, you're going to tell that I don't know what I'm that I haven't read this before because I'm a very slow reader. So there you go, Jeff. Oh, what country? Oh, geez. Mexico. Mexico. Okay. Why is that? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to unpack that just because there's, there's such a wide range of places to go to that are so different. I mean, it's like anybody listening from the United States, you can go from one end to the other and feel like you're in completely different countries. Feels the same with Mexico. It's like it gives me a little bit of everything that I could possibly want. So, for instance, like if you go to the beaches, Puerto Escondido, right, would be a really good example. You get that really tropical feel, really hot, and you get the whole... You get the beach vibe with the amazing sunsets and all that kind of stuff. But if you want a completely different experience, you could go to Mexico City and you could get the huge city vibe and you could get all of your fancy food. You can get your, you know, your bougie coffee that we like. You can get some of the best cuisine in the world. It's like one of the, the top cuisine places anywhere around. And then you could go to Oaxaca. And again, you could have like cuisine, but you get a completely different cultural experience where they're very like the people there have a long, long, long history in, in Oaxaca and they're very politically motivated and they have also completely different cuisine like mole, like very, very popular with their moles and their mezcals. The whole point is you can go from one point of Mexico to another and have a completely different experience like you're in a different country altogether and it's easy to get around you just hop on a very quick flight so it's it's like i could spend the next 10 years in mexico and still not see nearly as many things as i wanted to see so that was tough I, that was tough you just can't get bored of it no you can't you really can't no I, no good choice though yeah 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 i i it was torn between that one and colombia i could i could mm. easily just go in that mm -hmm. direction 
but I, I think Mexico is my my favorite. Okay, what have you got for that one? Okay. Oh, okay. We're doing it both ways, right? Ooh, I this would have been a yeah. chance to actually think about that for a second. My absolute top favorite country. Look, I'm for that's the whole point. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> with, just... and it's not really a, it's not really a country, so this is gonna feel like cheating, but it is. It's an island that is part of Indonesia. It's uh, Bali. And for now, I'm going to I'm going to take that one as an example, because we're actually going to be we've just been there for four months and we're going to be coming going back to that for another three months. We've signed another slightly longer term lease for Digital Nomad to stay there at the start of the next year. The reason I love it is because it is by far the most it's just, you know, once you've done a lot of travels, by far the most comfortable destination I can think of for, you know, doing this kind of lifestyle. It it's got. I mean, look, if you're looking for an absolute cultural immersion, Bali might not quite be your place unless you choose to place yourself outside of these, you know, international bubbles, which would be Changu and and Ubud in that case. There's an incredible culture to explore for sure. But the default is that you kind of get pulled into your comforts, into where there's, you know, the stuff for the workouts, where there's a lifestyle that you want, where there's the restaurants, the cafes, and all that stuff is easy, which means that by default, you're not going to be putting yourself into those um, into those more cultural scenes that much. So that's one thing to know. But if you kind of just set that that aside just a little bit, then what you've got in Bali is probably the most international place I've ever seen. So the most sort of like, you know, melting pot of of different nationalities in one tight little little spot. And it's it's like you have all of the things that you love from a big city, which is all the restaurants, the choice, the entertainment, the nightlife, the, you know, the gyms, the lifestyle stuff, the, the healthy foods, like everything that you could possibly want from a big city, but condensed into this, again, very, very tiny space. So you, you can just hop around everywhere and, and access all of that immediately, right? So those things are incredible. Then you can get these really nice villas. It's very jungly kind of vibe to it. Lots of rice fields, you know, so there's, there's nature around as well, especially if you kind of step just outside of the the area i'm talking about changu here which is is the part that's kind of on the coast downsides of that place is maybe quite a bit of traffic you're definitely gonna have to get comfortable with driving a scooter and that's the only way to get around there's like an uber for scooters that you can use as well it's called gojek but that's yeah that's that's you know bali in a nutshell so i i won't i'm sure we'll do separate sessions on that too so let's move on to the next question eh yeah, yeah. So Bali, in terms of being a digital nomad, seems to check every single box in a tiny little area. Absolutely. So yeah, give, give it a go. Good answer. Okay, next question is going to be me to you. And it is going to be, Diego, how big is your suitcase? And how are you able to stay in countries with extremely different weather, like deep winter and intense summer oh that's a good question i love that this question came up now because it is it could not be more timely so we were in in bali now i had all my stuff with me and as you know as it goes you start traveling you've got 23 kilograms i, I don't know what that is in in pounds what's that uh, probably 40 pounds or w what's the usual limit in pounds for airlines it's two points i think you oh, 50 pounds right yeah so for carrot yeah 50 pounds, 50 pounds. that's it so kind of take that equivalent to 23 kilograms 50 pounds as an example. So I was right on that on that limit. And then now coming back from Bali, I've got my I've got two pieces of hand luggage that together are they're meant to be 12 kilograms, they're 20 kilograms. So that gives you a rough idea that it's significantly over. And I've got my suitcase that's 23 kilograms was now 29 kilograms. So that is a lot over what I'm what I'm technically allowed to do. And so on this trip, I managed to somehow get that to 
Europe, but then I had another trip from Europe to Costa Rica. And in Europe, I ended up packing up a, a box and shipping it home to Germany because I had stupidly bought 12 bags of coffee from, from Bali because it's, it's so good over there. And, and I, I sent my hiking shoes back because I was like, I've never used these. I bought these. I've never used these. And, and they take up so much space and weight. And even then, we had so much extra weight in our luggage that we had to we had to open up the luggage in front of on the on the counter and and start throwing things away. I this is the first time I've had to do this in my life. I had my my rain jacket on, and this guy didn't want to let us through because we had to have those twelve kilograms of hand luggage. I started to take out all of our electronic gear, and I was just putting it in in all sorts of different pockets that I had with me, and it was it was lovely. What what a scene! It. You know, it would have cost, I think, $150 almost to, oh. to get the extra suitcase. So I thought, you know, you, you can get an extra little electronic for that. In hindsight, maybe the stress would have been worth just paying it. But yeah, I think my answer, Jeff, is I don't. I don't do it well enough. But yeah, get yourself a suitcase that is, I, I'd like the hard shell suitcases that have the locks that are inbuilt. That's safer because you can't open them. The, the ones with the zipper, you can open. There's a trick to opening them with uh, with a pen or a pencil. So definitely avoid those if you if you can. So nothing gets stolen from your suitcase. And then if you get one of those hard shells, the standard size, the standard, you know, check-in luggage size, typically you're going to have to really squeeze and press to make it be too heavy. I've managed to, but yeah, that's, that's, that's me. How about you, Jeff? I've got three strategies for mine. So I have three different packing techniques depending on where I'm going. So I've got I've got the check luggage and I will do that only if I'm staying somewhere for an extended period of time or if I don't know when I'm coming back and I want to pack all my stuff. So that's the only time I'll do a checked bag. But in that checked bag, I'll always bring my Osprey travel backpack, which I absolutely love. And I'd recommend to anybody to whenever you're packing, bring yourself a day bag or a travel backpack, because when you get somewhere and you don't have anywhere to put your stuff, if you want to go on like a weekend trip, you're just going to have to buy a bag or you're going to have to be, you know, doing, you have to be doing the tablecloth with the, with the pole on the back. Like, you that's know, me. like the homeless. <laughs> Look, yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta pack. So I will do a carry on. It's just basic. I'm sorry. I'll do a check bag. It's just a basic Amazon bag. I think it was what it run me. I don't know, maybe 50 bucks, hundred bucks at the very most. I'll throw my Osprey bag in there so that I can pack anything on a day trip. Um, but ideally what I'll do is I've got a carry on bag cause I absolutely hate checking my bag and I really, really don't like waiting for it afterwards. And then the customs and all that kind of stuff. So if I can, if I'm, especially if I'm going to Latin America, for the most part, I'm probably not going to need a whole lot of clothes and I don't have a whole lot of clothes anyways. I mean, I've, I'm kind of a minimalist. I've got like, you've traveled with me. You've seen all six shirts that I own. This is a, a winter shirt that you've never seen because we haven't traveled winter before. You look like a lumberjack, but Jeff. I love it. My 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 wardrobe is one lumberjack shirt and then like six t-shirts. So it's really I I don't require a whole lot. So generally I'll just yeah, I'll just throw it in a in a travel backpack or a, a carry-on backpack, throw it above my bin, and then call it a day. Yeah, you know what? I'd I'd love to add one more thing to that. Don't don't be too afraid of the of going overweight on your hand luggage. So what you're doing usually works out really well because in all of my time of traveling in the last seven years, I've ha- once had to weigh my hand luggage. And that was on this last flight that I just told you guys about where I put all my stuff in my jacket. So worst case scenario, you're going to have to pay on that one flight or you're going to have to you know wear a few extra things on that one flight. But the gist of it is 
you can put extra stuff in there. I usually put my heavy electronics in there, both because I feel safer about taking them on the plane rather than having them in the checked luggage, especially if you don't have that lock on your uh, and, and no zipper bag, right? And because that's the heavy stuff, so you can just carry it along. I will say, though, I'm a big fan of the rolly hand luggage, right? It, it just, after a while, after a lot of traveling, to be able to just roll that, it's it's better for your back because you're going to end up using a lot of stuff there. This is us speaking, you know, we're not not spring ch- chickens anymore. So it's a little bit of advice from us old timers. Yeah, yeah. Actually, to add to that point, I use a, you can find it on Amazon. It's a, hold on, I'm going to look at it. It's called a Cool Belt laptop bag, and it doubles as a backpack. So there's like a little area where you can tuck the strap underneath the back flap and it'll turn into a backpack or it'll turn into like a strap for a laptop bag and it's got like it's like the cargo pants of laptop bags and it's got like 18 different compartments i put all my electronics in there i load up like everything in there i I probably pack that carry-on to the limit and weight and again that's never been weighted and i can get like anything extra into this bag and just do a carry-on so that is a that's a really good tip that you had there sweet so i guess i am okay. next huh um question yeah hit me what are your must-haves in every country that you live in oh glad i'm not answering that one first oh no jesus okay i'm immediately going electronics so i i have to have my computer, that's obviously mandatory. Sometimes I bring a backup laptop if I'm going to the beach because I have these nightmarish dreams of getting sand in my keyboard somewhere in like Puerto Viejo or Santa Marta and having a laptop break and having to go to San Jose to get it fixed. That's that's like terrifying to me or spilling like a coffee on my laptop. So I'll have a laptop sometimes, depending on where I'm going, a backup laptop. I'm going to have internet solutions. So that's like absolute mandatory. I have to have a backup and a backup and a backup. So I'll travel with my MiFi device. I will create some sort of data plan for tethering on my phone as well. And then just load up as much data plan as I can. And yeah, okay, that's pretty much good for internet. What else do I go with? Must-haves are flip-flops. Absolutely. If you ever forget your flip-flops when you're traveling, it's horrible. I hate forgetting my flip-flops. I travel with my pickleball paddle, just in case there's pickleball anywhere where I'm going. If I'm traveling all over the place, I want to have that thing good to go. Other than that, I think mostly I... The must-haves are just headphones. Like I've got my AirPods that are absolutely mandatory for meetings. I've got my podcasting microphone, which I'm using right now. That's absolutely mandatory wherever I travel because I'm doing a lot of podcasts. And then my noise-canceling Bose headphones. And I put those on because it just absolutely puts me in the zone. People see that you're wearing them and they won't interrupt whatever flow that you're into. And also it's just really, really good sound quality. So other than that, I mean, you got your normal stuff, just like shorts, shirts, that kind of thing. But those are my like irreplaceables. Everything else, if I lose it, I break it, I can just replace it. Just get a new shirt, get a new backpack, whatever. Those I have to have. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to double down on on what you said there. And then let me add something. I think so I really love the, in terms of working, I really love that that setup that kind of lifts your laptop up so there's these stands that are expandable that you can put your laptop on top of the original of those is the roost stand but there's many you know newer copies of that that are also much less expensive that you can get 
And the keyboard, of course, you're going to need an external keyboard, external mouse or external trackpad. So I've got that kind of set up. I really love that too, because Jeff, everything you were saying there about like the beach and the sand and, and all that, with you mess up the keyboard on your laptop, you spilled something on your laptop, that's it, right? So mess up your, your external keyboard instead. That's so easy to replace. You can always get another one anywhere. It's a really good backup to have. Plus, it's just the whole posture thing. You know, it's much better for you to have maybe an extra charger. So I've kind of got an extra laptop charger that I can use because chargers, when they break, that's also Ooh, kind of the one. end of the world. And apart from that, sleep, I have this these silk, <laughs> silk because it feels so nice, but this eye mask that you can use that kind of just, you know, if you, if you don't, if you sleep better with less light, then that's a really great option. It's also fantastic for when you're flying. And then I've got these, just these earplugs, very, very basic. I think they're called laser light earplugs or something like that. I just found out from one of the guys that's here as well, who, you know, we gave him these and we're like, hey, look, use these. These are our favorites. And he goes crazy. He's like, oh my God, these are my favorites too. How did you know? And and he, he goes on about like, there's apparently only this one kind of company that does them like this. So yeah, I recommend those. They're the really colorful ones. You can get them on Amazon, super cheap, super easy to get. I think they're called laser light something. So kind of search for that. Fantastic as well. It drowns out so much noise. So that's great. And then, yeah, you mentioned the noise canceling headphones. That would have been the other thing that I would have said is my absolute must have. And, and then let's just throw in the mix. An unlocked mobile phone is probably super, super, mm. super essential. Because if you come into another country and you, you've got your phones locked, you're, you're in trouble. You can't use it as a backup for internet. You can't really move around with it. And in that case, you have to get yourself a MiFi device, which is like, you know, pocket Wi-Fi or whatever you want to call it, where you can put a SIM card in and have data as you're going. But I think, Jeff, I think that is really, yeah, I think that's it. So up to you next. Oh, wait, no, I got one more. Yeah, it's mostly just... Got one more. It's important. Oh, yeah, yeah. Power power bank. What's that? Small power bank, big power bank. Oh, the power bank. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Can't go without that one. Okay, give the audience the one that you're using now so that they can look it up. Okay, let's see. So I'm looking at the brand here. It's called A-N-O-P-E, Anope. That is the weirdest name. It is, I like this one because it's it's mm. really small. It's half the size of a mobile phone. Oh, that's tiny. Yeah, and it kind of does almost uh-huh. a full charge on your phone. So this is the one that I'll use on a day-to-day basis to, to top up my phone when I'm out anywhere. And then the other one, I think is, let me see if I've got it here. The other one that's really, really valuable to have as well is one that can charge your laptop. So if you've got a, a MacBook, again, I'm saying that because I've got that, but look up for your own your own device what you'll need. But you've got if you've got a MacBook, you want one that has enough power to be able to give your your laptop a boost when you need it, which could be maybe you know a 50% charge. You don't have to go overboard, but every now and then you're going to be at a cafe, you don't have any any plugins, and that's when this becomes really valuable. So the one that I have here is called CarMast, C-H-A-R-M-A-S-T, CarMast. And it is flat. It's a you know really pretty chunky but flat thing, bigger than your mobile phone. And you can plug a lightning cable, lightning charging cable into that. So that then goes straight into your laptop. And what you kind of want to look for is generally you want quite some power capacity. I think this one has 27,000 MAH, I think that's mega ampere or something like that. And so look for that kind of power and and output and just make sure that as you're looking for this device on Amazon that it says can charge your laptop. But yep, that's that's probably the most valuable stuff that I can I can share with you guys here. Yep. So I also have I'm 
really glad you mentioned the backup battery because that is absolutely crucial. There, I've actually written about that in one of our landing pages on beachcommute.com. The backup battery is crucial if you're, especially if you're navigating a new city. Like the worst thing that could happen is you're trying to get somewhere and then your your phone dies and you don't know where you are. You can't access maps. You can't access taxis or Ubers. It's like it could actually be a dangerous situation. So it's not just like a productivity thing. It's kind of a, a safety thing. So I always travel with one. I've got an Anchor, A-N-K-E-R. It's kind of a like one of the gold standards to just like one of the most common battery packs. And yeah, it I've charges my phone. It's pretty solid. It's it's about a little bit bigger than the size of my phone. So it's kind of a large portable one, but it charges it maybe four times or so, sometimes up wow. to five times if I get a really good charge in there. So yeah, really, really good piece of equipment. It is worth every penny. It's like an absolute must. Okay, let's move on to the next question. I'm asking you this one, and it is, what's the biggest culture shock you've experienced in your years working overseas? Ooh. Wow. Okay. Oh, I'd like to mention too, because I think that they're they're really, really interesting places. So one was in Jamaica when we went there. I, I kind of didn't really know what to expect, but ha- after having traveled around Latin America so much and the, you know the, just knowing the Car- Caribbean in terms of the Latin American version of it, I had a certain expectation of what I might find in Jamaica, and it was just culturally so different. It did feel a little bit more more like hustly, a, a tiny bit more more maybe. I'd say yeah, actually, it, it felt a bit more aggressive in in terms of like you know people trying to get something from you. There was a certain like I, you had you'd have to watch out that every now and then people would kind of trick you into something. So they you know the taxi takes you to from A to B, and it's you know it's two dollars. If the taxi takes you from A to B and then a hundred extra meters to somewhere, it's ten dollars. You know like there's there's a lot of these little hmm. things where. I felt that I was I constantly had to be aware of of little little tricks basically that were that were happening there. But I loved the the language. I found found it so fascinating that yeah, that piece of the culture where you see for the first time how a language evolves from in this case, you know, English over to what is now spoken there, which is called Patois, which is a dot not it's not a dialect of English. It is now its own language, it's considered its own language, but you can see where it really comes from. And it's in that transition period, from my opinion, I would say it's in that transition period from being in a language, English, to being another language, because it's still close enough to English that you can make out the meaning of it, the words of it. But it's just so cool to see how that happens, because at the end of the day, that's happened all the time throughout history, right? That's how new languages are formed. And here's a country where you can experience it and you can see mm. it happening. So anyway, that was one of them. The other one was Japan. Yeah so fundamentally different in terms of culture from all the other countries i mean the biggest shock for me there was you're not allowed to eat on the streets you're not allowed to eat in you know not not in the grocery store or anything like that so you can't just buy a snack in the grocery store walk out and have a chocolate right and i did that and i got you know politely told off and everybody in japan is so they're so incredibly thoughtful and conscious of all the other people around them it's such a clean place it's so it's so safe it's it's so, I don't know the best word to describe it. Maybe is it so perfect. Like it's so, so imperfectly perfect. It's, it's truly wonderful and so very different. It feels like one of the richest places in terms of culture that I've, that I've ever explored. Like you feel that the culture really runs centuries and, and generations deep. It is deep. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. So yeah, that's me. How about you, Jeff? I don't have any particular instance that I'm, I'm recalling. I'm just kind of thinking of a general feel of, of how, 
I'm used to living life versus how it's different. Anytime I go to Latin America, it's just it comparing lifestyle here in the United States. And a good example would be I just went to a restaurant the other day and we got our food delivered. And at the same time with the food came the check. And she walked by and said later, she said, walk by and said, how's everything going? And just kept walking by before even hearing the response. And I just, it just really occurred to me. It really hit me smack in the face that whenever I go anywhere in Latin America, anywhere South of the United States, that you would never get that. You would never get that kind of treatment. Everything is just um, like much slower. People appreciate life a, a lot more. And they're a lot more, I think, friendly, genuinely friendly and sociable. Like, for example, you, you go to, if you went to a restaurant anywhere, pretty much anywhere in Latin America, it's going to take a lot longer to order and get your check because they're not rushing you out the door. There is no rush. Like the, they don't want you to rush. They don't want to rush their lives. And they just tend to, you know, smell the flowers. It's just like take a little bit longer with life to do things and just appreciate time a little bit more. And we're just so up here in North America, just so eager to get the, get things done and go to the next thing, go to the next thing, go to the next thing that there's really, there's really no stopping and appreciating the moment. There's not um, like space there is left for like, life, especially, there, right? There's not. There's no space left for life. There's just space for doing and accomplishing things and being done. And the, really, really, the, the polar opposite of that is exactly where you are now. It's, it seems to be most pronounced in Costa Rica, where Ooh, they're like yeah. truly, you hear the expression island time, but they're truly on island time. You know, it, it takes for a few days. It, whenever I go, like even though I, I know it's coming, it takes me a few days to adjust to it because it's yeah. like it's really, really slow. And you have to mentally slow down your expectations of what life should be. And as a result, these are very, very happy people. Like Costa Ricans are some of the happiest people on the planet. So there's something to that. And it really, really is a culture shock to me every time I leave the States and experience that. There's a saying here, Jeff, that they, so every time that they greet you, they'll say pura vida. And it's, it's this weird saying right. that, you know, as, as a Spanish speaker, you're like, what does that even mean? It's it's directly translated as it's pure life, right? That's their that's their motto. They picked that up apparently from some TV show that happened here. It was one of those things that that somebody said in that TV show. And since then, the entire country, like not just a few cool kids or something, the entire country uses that phrase as a hello and a goodbye. It is their it is their official greeting now, and it's just so interesting because it it kind of just like that one greeting tells you everything about this place that it is about life, that it's all about living a good life and and focusing yeah. on life here, right? I love that. I really love that as an example for this place. Yeah, it kind of just encapsulates an entire an entire country. Yeah, that's good. Mm, okay, let's absolutely. let's jump into the next question. Yeah, do you have daily a daily routine that you stick to, especially when you move around a lot? Absolutely. Oh, this one's the easy one for me. I I am a slave to my routine. That sounds really, really bad. But for me, I've got a certain system that works really, really well. And as a traveler and as a digital nomad, it is so, so easy to get out of a routine and to lose all of your good habits just because there's so many awesome distractions. Like 
let's go to the beach. Let's go, you know, we're going out to the restaurant for the 18th time in a row because it's really, really fun to socialize and it's really fun to share these these experiences in these awesome locations that you're in and lose track of the things that are keeping you mentally and physically healthy. So for me, like there are some aspects to my routine that are pretty mandatory. First thing is like getting up at the same time every morning during weekdays when I'm working. So I'll get up at 5.50 and I'll start work by 6.30 in the morning because I know I'm, I'm a very strong morning person and a very, very weak afternoon person. So if I maintain that schedule, everything else just kind of falls in line. And the same thing with sleep. Like on weekdays, I I want to be getting at least seven hours of sleep no matter what because it'll be detrimental to my productivity the next day, my mental health, all that kind of stuff. So I'd say the main thing is just maintaining strong like start and stop times with work and wake up times and go to bed times. I've got some other things that I do as well in terms of like exercise, but just for the sake of, of brevity and saying like what's most important to me, those things are like non-starters. Those are absolutely mandatory. Yeah, interesting. I, I think for me, I, I would probably say that it, it actually is a bit of a routine, an ex exercise routine. I get up in the morning, I'll do, I'll just drink a glass of water immediately, then get to to doing just, it takes, it takes me seven, eight minutes. It's a super quick exercise that really just gets me, gets the entire body moving. So I do I do these burpees with, with double push-ups in between and like lift a leg and like literally the entire body is moving in that moment. And it's because we sit on our asses all day long and don't, you know, we don't move at all. So it's so important, I think, to get a little bit of that movement in right away. That, that wakes you up very quickly. And then I, I will usually meditate after that for maybe 15 minutes. Uh, on a good day, I'll do a little bit of another workout there too, or I might do um, some stretches now that this is in an ideal scenario. But the good part about all of this is that it's all these workouts, exercises, you know, the, the meditation stuff, it's all stuff that you can take with you absolutely anywhere. And I found that that's maybe the, the most important thing. It's to have a mindset of I can exercise wherever I go. There's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do it wherever I am. As long as you have that mindset, then you're not breaking these habits when you're you know, going from one place to the next, because I think that that itself is probably one of the most challenging things. Try to find something that you can latch yourself onto as quickly as possible as soon as you arrive. Otherwise, you are in a place for three, four, five weeks trying to catch a routine and you feel like you're constantly just chasing your own tail. I love that one. That's super important. And it's also something that we've got in one of our landing pages, how to work and travel is being able to find a workout routine that you can do anywhere, whether that's yoga or body weight hit workouts like you're describing there. Because I've seen so many people like, I can't find a gym that I like. And then all of a sudden two weeks have gone by and then they finally got a subscription to a gym and we leave in a week and they've lost two yeah. weeks of exercise. So I, the point is like, if you're not, if it's not easy to do, you're probably not going to do it. And mm. the easiest thing to do, it's, it's much easier to do, six 10 minute workouts a week than it is to like go four times a week for two hours. Like, it's just not as practical, but if you're able to knock out six in a week, just doing those hit workouts or yoga or whatever's, you know, whatever you can do just in your Airbnb, your hostel, wherever you're staying is going to be so much more beneficial. That's a good one. Absolutely. Last question. Question number seven, rapid fire. Diego, what are the, how is, what is the best way to find 
co-working spaces and what do you need in a co-working space? Okay, so to, to find co-working spaces, not, it's not insanely difficult. You're, you just go on Google, type co-working space in the city that you're going to be in and up pop a, a ton of them or some of them, depending on where you're at. Check the reviews. You'll quickly see which ones are, you know, have higher star reviews and all that. And then just have a look at the ones that are near your area, maybe. So there's a few factors that you just take into consideration. Read the, read the reviews, see what matters to you. And then you can, you can make your decision on going in for that. Honestly, I think it is pretty much that simple. There's not much, not too much more to it. It really depends, though. There will be some destinations that don't have co-working spaces. If that's absolutely critical to you and your productivity, then consider maybe not going to that destination right now or finding another workaround. And then kind of just setting yourself up with a solid Airbnb where you know also that the, the internet is working well there. So that kind of would be a backup to that co-working space situation. And of course, if it's more about being surrounded by people, then maybe have a think about that. That's an important one. If you are joining a co-working space for the people, bear in mind that a co-working space is not a co-working space. Some are focused on the work and that means that people go there and then nine to five, five o'clock, they clock off, they go home and nobody's chatting and, and that's that. There's no social environment. So if social is important to you, then really do look into the co-working spaces that are known for creating community, for bringing people together, for ha helping those things happen. Otherwise, you might want to find that elsewhere. And that might be more, it might be more relevant to, for you to look at, for example, travel communities. I think we're going to be doing a podcast on that in the future as well, or finding other ways in which you can find your community of people around you. But yeah, Jeff, anything else to, to add to that? Yeah, there's a lot of levels of co-working spaces. There's official co-working spaces where it's designed for just that. And you'll actually see full-time offices in there. You'll see people renting those out and you'll see like day pass people. And it is a full-blown co-working space and generally those dedicated types of spots like that are a lot more expensive a good example would be a selena has well it's a hotel and a co-working space and you can pay on a per day basis and that'll run you 10 to 15 bucks a day sometimes up to 25 bucks a day for some of these things some of the more fancy co-working spaces yeah you could pay up to 20 25 bucks a day and it's everything that you'd expect out of a co-working space. It's like an office. You get the coffee, you get the quiet workspace, you get the good internet, hopefully, and everything that like you would need to work from an office. I generally don't go in for those just because they're a little bit more on the pricey side. And I've already got all the travel friends that I need, so I'm not generally trying to make any connections. For me, any co-working space is something that just satisfies a few criteria for me. One is just having solid internet, a quiet enough place where I can talk on the phone and good coffee. That's pretty much it. And ideally, you know, a power outlet that, that can be kind of tricky sometimes, a decent power outlet somewhere. Other than that, like it is a co-working space for me. So when people say co-working spaces, for me, that kind of means anywhere that you can work where you're around other people. So that could be like a coffee shop. It could be a yeah. restaurant. I've done yeah. co-working in restaurants in europe and there were hotels more than yeah hotel yeah hotel hotel lobbies even yeah and if you're paying most often than not more often than not they're pretty eager to have you you know as long as you're not just being rude and buying one coffee every four hours and sucking energy out of the walls then they're for the most part pretty eager to have you and read the room right jeff i think this is really important especially so that you don't Good. that we don't yeah. all you know go out there and and give give digital nomads a bad rep and then the world gets pissed off at us but read the room like if you're if it's full if it's lunchtime and that restaurant is filling up 
that's not the right time to to be sitting there with your laptop unless you are you know you got a big plate of lunch uh, in front of you as well and you're you're clearly showing that you're also if nobody else is working in that environment and it just doesn't somehow feel like the kind of place to do it, that's another reason to maybe not do that sometimes there's signs that say you know no laptops here please or after a certain time no laptops please so that is important i think it's really really important that we're not we're not those digital douchebags that you know, just assume that it's okay for us to do that. Mm-hmm. But honestly, there are so many places that are more than happy for you to sit there. Some some even have turned themselves into co-working cafes, right? Where they're kind of 50% this, 50% that, and they're really catering to to our version of, of work. And yeah, just don't don't go in and title and take it for granted. That's all maybe. Yeah, a lot of people are starting to do that and it gets really irritating to people. Like I've told this story before. I walked into the our favorite spot, the Pergamino in Colombia and some girl turned it into a yoga studio for herself. Oh my God. I looked over and I, she started doing an entire yoga routine on the floor in the middle of where everybody else was working. And I was like, okay, you've really, really pushed the boundaries of what's acceptable. And That's yeah, just probably read the room. If people aren't yeah. doing yoga there, don't do yoga there. If you're not seeing mm. anybody working, no laptops, maybe reconsider it. Yeah. Other than that, just kind of a common sense type of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, that wraps it up. That was our seven rapid-fire questions. Thank you, everybody, for joining. We love doing these ones. These are kind of fun because it really challenges us to think on our <laughs> on our experiences. As you can see, we're just thinking of these things on the fly. So thank you, Diego. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. 